0: So, anyone here from Evergreen Terrace? To join Otto and Becky at 742 Evergreen Terrace?
1: Evergreen Terrace is built atop a massive shale deposit.
0: We'll go live to Evergreen Terrace where- Let's see, where is that map? Evergreen Terrace. Good old Evergreen Terrace. 742
1: Evergreen Terrace. 742 Evergreen Terrace, a tiny slice of
0: suburban heaven. Uh, we're almost at Evergreen Terrace, miss. 742 Nevergreen. Oh, Evergreen Terrace. Learned it's Homer Simpson of 742 Evergreen Terrace. The gas rights transfer form for 742 Evergreen
1: Terrace. 742 Evergreen Terrace. Or below Evergreen Terrace. Isn't this 742 Evergreen Terrace?
2: On Evergreen Terrace. Turn the plane around. I want to go to 742 Evergreen Terrace.
1: The of Evergreen Terrace are undecided.
3: Terrace. Evergreen Terrace. The street that smells like pee. Hi, everyone. Today we have a bit of a hybrid episode where my TV and music worlds collide. I'm joined by the Bill Oakley, who is a TV writer and for the purposes of this episode, is best known for The Simpsons, as well as being referred to in recent times as the Gordon Ramsay of fast food. So thank you so much, Bill, for being here today. You know, we're all super excited.
2: Uh, My pleasure. I'm delighted to be here.
3: And I'm also welcoming back Andrew and Jason from the band Evergreen Terrace. It's always a pleasure and a lot of fun to have them on. So thank you so much for coming back on, guys, to help me out today.
0: Oh, thank you for having us. I'm really appreciative.
1: Yes, thank you.
3: Bill, happy belated birthday for a couple of weeks ago. As such a, a fast foody snack person, what happens on birthdays? Are there any particular indulgences that you like, or cakes? Are you a cake person?
2: I went to a re- fancy restaurant. I didn't. I, I did not go eat snacks. I didn't drag the because fa- the family has to be involved. If it sure. had been up to me, I would have gone to Arby's. But so I took everybody out to a restaurant, a a, a fancy seafood place that was like <clears throat> on the waterfront, <laughs> for a very mm-hmm. different type of meal than I normally have. Bill, I worked at Arby's uh, when I was like 19. Now, can you still eat Arby's? Or are, are you like, are you turned off by the idea of it now?
0: I, I just don't eat a lot of fast food in general, but yeah, I, I can go eat there.
2: Okay, so good. Because a lot of times people who worked at places are now turned off by them. And I'm glad to hear that. That's because I really like Arby's and I'm, I'm happy to hear that working there did not turn you off from the whole idea of Arby's.
0: Arby's. Uh, nothing, uh, I don't think anything gross ever happened like to the food or anything, but it was sort of like eye-opening when you're like, oh, they aren't roasting beef. It's a big bag of meat paste and they steam it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't want to know too much about it.
1: Big bag of meat paste. Now you yeah, hang them up
0: and box them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for those people listening who are trying to join the dots and find that connection as to why I have these guests on, I'm going to hand over to Andrew to explain how they got their band name. Oh,
1: um, when we started, we came up with a, a name like right off the bat. I think I got we got on stage and I said my name was our band's name just off the cusp was the Backpack Boys. And that wasn't going to fly because that was not a good name. And so sitting in a Wendy's, eating a chicken sandwich uh, with our old bass player, before Jason joined, he said that it would be a cool name to name the band after uh, the street the Simpsons live on. And that's where we got, I was like, yeah, Evergreen Terrace. And then everybody was like, yeah, let's do that. Me and the old bass player, Josh Smith, were, were probably the biggest fans of the Simpsons at the time.
3: Uh, okay.
1: And, uh, and we were like, yeah, watched it every day. So it's just like, that's, this makes sense. Let's do this.
3: Yeah. I would like to... Talk about a parallel between Jason and Andrew in Evergreen Terrace and your writing partner, uh, Josh. So you have been working with him for a long time, similarly to Andrew and Jason, who have, you know, spent like 20 odd years together. Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship is like?
2: A TV, like, so Josh and I don't work together anymore. We work together on certain projects but we don't work together all the time like we did um, for like the first 15, 20 years that we were doing it. We were best friends from high school and that's wow. how that whole thing got started. Part of the, okay, it, I'll just, it's very clear. In TV writing, it is much more fun to work with, work with someone else. It's it, the benefits and the, the drawbacks are very, very clear because the fun is sitting by yourself and writing is hard and it sucks. And anybody who can do that is weird, in my opinion. Like sitting by yourself <laughs> and just writing it, it is, but your, your friend is there, it's still hard actually, it becomes arduous after a few hours, but it's still much more fun to talk with your friend and make up the jokes with your friend. So it's much easier, it's much more fun. The drawback is you still have to split one salary. And this is why people like, they, they don't pay oh. you twice that for, uh, to be a team. That mm. you, get, you get one salary and you split it. And it becomes annoying because once you start having family, you're getting, you're getting half of what all the other writers are getting. And even on your own, for instance, if we were to create our own show, We'd still be making less than almost everybody else on the show because we're splitting the salary, so that becomes extremely annoying. And which is why people generally partnerships that start out as teams end up the people end up separating not because they don't like each other, but because it's just it's just the income is too low as a team. Anyway, so there it's very clear what the front, what's what good and bad about being a team. Yeah. Oh wow.
3: Well, you guys have to I split did. it by by multiple people, yeah right? yeah
2: yes. <laughs> yeah i mean like what do those bands with 12 people do like how do they survive yeah. they survive with their 12 people i wouldn't be able to do anything without the rest of the guys
1: i'm lucky to be like tagging along honestly i mean like and part of like most of the writing process for like the music and i used to write a lot of the lyrics but in the recent recent album jason actually wrote a lot of the lyrics and I just I mean I just like to perform and just hang out and scream on the stage and so I I'll take what I could get (laughs) I'm I'm very lucky so like be surrounded by such talented people and like guys are great all right let me translate this and and shake my head and jump out in the crowd and and then we all just lose our minds on stage
3: all right. Well, Bill, maybe we should ask. So I have heard you talk about how um, you feel like the internet gave the Simpsons like sort of like this second, the second like life really. And I suppose when we were all teens watching it growing up, you know, and as a writer, you're just getting like the standard ratings. You didn't have the internet, like to know what was going on. How do you feel the Simpsons would be if we did have the internet back then? Like, how do you, th- would that have impacted the writing? Because I guess my leading question to that is too, like the evolution of the writer's rooms is so different, right? So when you're back in those early days, there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's no nothing. And now, I suppose, like, so from The Simpsons to like Disenchantment, there's, you, you, you know, people can be texting, there's memes, there's all sorts of things going on. So what do you think it would be like? Or well, what is it like now creating shows with the internet?
1: I just had, um, is it like instant feedback, you know, like something like that? Like, because you would get that instead of having that, like, I
2: think it probably would have screwed the show up somewhat because we did have a little bit of internet. And I'm I'm sure you've heard me talk about this. Um, Back then, people did not have the internet in general, but there was Usenet. And and there was a thing called uh, Alt TV Simpsons, um, which people could post on. And it was, you had to have it like back. Let me take you back to the early 90s. People did not, the average person did (laughs) not have internet. They didn't have America online. They didn't have anything. But people at computer science places did. People at, at like high tech companies and people at colleges with computer science departments had internet connections and they, they, it was all text-based just typing. And, and there was a thing um, called Usenet um, and people would post, and which was basically kind of like the fun part of that primitive internet where people would post messages about TV shows and movies and comic books and stuff. So there was a group on Usenet called alt.tv.simpsons. And we were very interested in like seeing what people were posting about it, even though we didn't, have, we didn't have any connection to this. So I got an account from an internet provider where you had to know Unix. You had to know Unix to, to work, operate this thing. and You had a modem. We had them put a modem into the office. Um, uh, and so we could log on and we looked at All TV Simpsons. And for a while, it was kind of interesting. But basically what happened is the people, the people who posted on All TV Simpsons were extremely critical of the show. And, and, they, and even on the, mo- now we talk about episodes that are the most beloved episodes of all time, at least 30 or 40% of people hated them at the time. And that's where the idea, that's where the phrase worst episode ever came from because we were always joking with that. And it finally became so annoying that no matter what we did, most or uh, ha- at least half the people hated it, that we finally just had them remove the modem and take it out of the office. And then we didn't read it again for 10 years. And I think honestly, we were better off for that because the feedback, it just frustrated everybody that like people it didn't, and the thing I've learned about comedy is if you can get 65% of people to think what you did is funny, that's incredible because yeah, people have amazing. such a different senses of humor people such as, you know, people, some people think, like, the whole perfect example would be basically like Jay Leno versus David Letterman, a lot of people really liked Jay Leno and thought he was the funniest thing ever, but a lot of people thought he sucked and thought Letterman was funny, and like it never got, the divide never got it never really got solved. And that's why Conan O'Brien kept getting screwed over and over because they kept trying to put Conan O'Brien on that night show. And people who liked Jay Leno thought Conan was weird. And so like people said anyway, I'm getting getting off the track here, but basically people's senses of humor are very different. And mm-hmm. it's not helpful to because people, the type of people who become writers can't tend to focus on the negative and so we're like they didn't yes. like our episode <laughs> they didn't like our baseball episode it was so funny yeah. and and you know it's, it's depressing so we didn't need we didn't need that and i'm honestly glad we didn't have the internet back then we didn't have the large swaths of the internet back then now these days there's a couple different things it's different when a show comes out every week like the simpsons because you talk about disenchantment when disenchantment comes out we finished those shows a year and a half ago like I don't care what people have to say about them. I've already forgotten what they were, <laughs> you know, like, like we, we did those episodes when you do a stuff for a streaming service, you do it way in advance and you do a whole bunch right. and then you release it. And, and, and a, and a big group, like you release the whole season of disenchantment in one day and people watch it and then they, and they comment on it. But like, it's not like the episode that you slaved on that went on the episode that went on, you know, essentially live or whatever mm-hmm. for 10 months. So you're getting instantly like, I'm not in, I don't go seek out feedback on something that I did a year and a half ago. Um, so that's like, if people will criticize it or whatever, but it's not something I like on the Simpsons it was back then, or been still today, because it's still coming out every week. The instant feedback is very different than feedback about something you did a year and a half ago.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. I, I feel yeah. like whenever you do uh, something creative, you, and, and especially if you're putting it out there for other people it becomes apparent really quickly that whatever you do is not meant, especially if you're playing music like us, it's not meant to appeal to everyone, but you know, it becomes apparent really quick that what you're doing, isn't going to be liked by everyone. And they're going to let you hear it. <laughs> they're going to yeah. tell
2: you. Well said. Well said. Very true.
0: So If you, I kind of tell people like, um, it, it does suck to hear that kind of thing and it doesn't feel good, but you have to learn to deal with it really quick or, You can't, you might not not be be. able to do that kind of thing. If it's going to bother you that bad, you need to let it. What's the church? Is that Churchill? If you stop to throw rocks at every dog that barks, you'll never get where you're going.
3: Well, I was just going to say, like when you guys are performing, like people can be really physical, like they can yell at you, they can boo you off stage, they can say all sorts of things, right? Like, like <laughs> oh, That's <laughs> like, very
2: different than TV, yes. Yeah,
3: you don't have that, like it's controlled criticism, I guess, in the TV realm, whereas like on stage it's live. Happening. Oh, but you know what?
1: I have and Jason have microphones and we can talk louder than them. And call them <laughs> out.
3: <laughs> yeah, but have you like have you ever done that?
1: No, sure, yeah, sometimes we haven't really yeah.
0: had to be confrontational with anyone. Yeah, we, we have had someone tell us that we, you know, if you're and, on stage, in, someone's going to tell you yeah. that you suck.
1: In Cleveland, oh yeah, remember how they like? So in Cleveland, that was they, like the way
0: they told you that they liked you
3: they heck
1: yeah they heckled you but like and then so before we you know before we like first couple times that we played there they're like they're gonna heckle you if they like you they're gonna heckle you and so when 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 they're like heckling us it's just like you heckle back you know I think one of the what a good lesson that I learned a long time ago is like if someone's someone's making fun of you laugh at it (laughs) just like all right that's funny if it if it's funny You know, if yeah, someone's doing it, you know, terribly or someone's mean, criti- you know. if it isn't terribly mean, you know, <laughs> and it's sometimes like criticism, I'm like, okay, well, I, if you can learn from it, I'm like, all right, well, cool. If, unless they're just like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So, like,
0: it depends on who the criticism is from.
1: Yeah. And how it's, you know, how it is managed. But yeah, I could, I could see like in the early days of like pre internet, if only the people that had it were like, High academic people, you know, they're like, man, that I just—they probably just didn't get jokes, Bill. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, they were yeah, too yeah. I <laughs> yeah. oh. just thought they were too smart. They're like, this, Mm-mm. I don't like, I don't like this. No.
3: <laughs> when I hear you, Bill, talk about that, you guys kind of were like, you know, season seven and eight, they didn't think it would go ahead. You know, as we know, comedy didn't really have like huge runs like it did back then. You kind of have alluded that you had free reign. And to me, that's just such a a novel concept because I don't think, would you ever see that in network TV again? Like, And can you explain like with free reign, did that mean literally everything and anything was you could do? Because I feel like now there's so many rules and checks and I I just don't think you, would you ever see that happen again? Or does it happen? Or do you get to a certain status where it's like you can do that?
2: The answer to your question is it's extraordinarily rare. (laughs) <laughs> it probably happens on about less than 0.001% of projects because the person you have to come in the door with enough clout that you're going to say, I didn't take, I'm not taking any notes, period. Um, everyone else, that's the worst part of this business. I, I still hate it to this day, to this minute is the immense number of gatekeepers you have to go through for everything. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things I love about doing stuff, my Instagram stuff or my videos that I do online. If I have an idea for a fast food review, funny fast food review, I can have an idea and it, it's on, the, it's on the air three hours later with the, without having to be approved by layers of executives and having, without me having to convince them that this is a good idea. I still hate doing that. I always hated it. The Simpsons was a very unique thing because when The, when the Simpsons <clears throat> was first ordered, James L. Brooks, Jim Brooks had all these Oscars and all these hit TV shows. And he told them, he said, OK, we'll do the show, but you can't have any input. You can't even come to the readings of the scripts. We'll deliver a tape and you have to broadcast it. And that was, that, that probably happened maybe two times in the history of television, you know, like ever. For instance, another example would be Seinfeld. Seinfeld had to go through a lot of hoops and agonies, but then when they got big, they didn't have to take the notes. I mean, you don't have to take the notes or even listen to the notes once you're hugely successful, but that's not, a, that's not every show. Um, so The Simpsons was a unique experience also for me and Josh, because not only did we not have to take notes from the network, when we were running it, Jim Brooks was too busy doing his movies. We only saw him once a year, and Matt Groening was off doing other stuff most of the time. So we didn't have to answer to anybody. The censor, the censor would would give us notes about like, don't say you can't say, you know, profanity. You can't show too much nudity. That kind of. But we we didn't we weren't trying to push the boundaries of that anyway. So we had to deal with the censor, but that was a very minor issue anyway. It's a practically unique situation in the history of television. Um, and it still happens today, but you have to be someone like Ryan Murphy or Shonda Rhimes, who has an immense string of hits to have the clout to say, I'm not taking any of your notes. And you also have to have the clout for them to buy the show. You don't have to convince them to buy your show. You know, you say those guys, those people, Ryan Murphy says, I'm going to make 10 shows for you, Netflix, and you have to broadcast them all. Like how many people on TV have that kind of clout? Five period? Yeah. You know?
3: I would love your view on, uh, spec scripts and, Do you still need them? What is needed now? Can you give a definition of what the spec script is? I feel like as a writer, and especially in Australia, there's a bit of mixed information about, do you need a spec script anymore? Or are they obsolete? Uh,
2: The spec script is basically your main way to get a job in TV writing. Or it used to be. Yes. That's the thing. You write a script for free of a show that you like. Suppose you like Frasier, you like The Simpsons, whatever. uh, Okay. Rick and Morty. Um, You write a script. You write a sample script of it, and then you um, and then that's your you show that to people to your to an agent to agents and executives and people that you can get it into their hands to show that you are capable of writing TV in the yeah. proper format. And yeah. um, usually, what you do these days is, or you did ten years ago, is you would have a spec script for a show that was an existing show to show that you're capable of writing in the format of the show of any some other show. Then you'd also have a sample that was your own show. Like if I got to make a show, so you'd have two scripts. That would be the standard thing these days okay. everything is up in the air because that like the spec script thing that was the th- the standard for about 50 straight years like you had to write a spec script you go through it, the process of getting hired in tv it was very standardized these days it's not um, is that because, because of the
0: streaming stuff
2: yes and because there's so many other different ways to prove you're like you can get hired from your funny twitter feed or your youtube videos <sighs> those kind of things like you don't have to sh- do that and furthermore this whole business is in the is in a verge of some big changes because there's no way in the U S last year, there were some almost exactly some 592 scripted shows on the air. That's ridiculous. How many of those shows had more than 10,000 viewers, you know, like, wow. and they probably cost a million bucks a piece. And wow. that's just insane. Yeah. Why would anybody do that? When Especially when you can have that a tw- hundred times as many viewers on YouTube or TikTok for nothing like the whole scripted tv business is going to there's going to be some big changes i yeah. think in it very soon because it's ridiculous
0: three times a day i hear about a good show i need to watch and i just don't have the bandwidth or
2: amount of time yeah <laughs> and think about how much money it's costing to make those shows if you were you know they get five thousand viewers you know that's the thing that like at some point somebody's going to wise up and it hasn't it's been a, quite a while that they haven't why wi- they haven't wised up but any case, my point being I, many times when people do this or people ask me how to break into TV writing, I'm like, are you sure you want to break into TV writing? Because yeah. what you're going to do, your, your, your goal end goal is not, you know, you're going to work for someone else for 10 weeks on their streaming show. And then you're going to be unemployed because that's the way it works now, unless you're on some show that's like you know, for instance, a show like Law & Order, a show that has 22 episodes a year that's still operating like it's 1959. If you gotta want to get a show it, get yeah. it there, that's old. That's, a, yes, that's the old, you get it the old way. But most shows these days, streaming shows, they hire the writers to come in to write the shows as fast as possible, and then they're out the door. And that's like, that's not really that fun in existence. You know, if you have that kind of talent, maybe you should consider starting your own, you know, you would make more money and get far more creative satisfaction having a YouTube channel with a million viewers than you would working on someone else's TV show. So like, I think we're on the verge of things like not being the same as they used to be. Oh, Andrew, sure. that,
0: that makes me think of that YouTuber that we like answers with Joe. Uh, I think he, yeah. he he had initially wanted to be a comedy writer and now he has this YouTube where he talks about science, <laughs> but he's yeah,
2: funny. Yeah. So why would you, if you had a YouTube channel, obviously it's hard to get a, a YouTube channel with a million viewers, But it's not, I don't think it's that much harder than breaking into the TV business and spending years working your way up. Like, that's also very hard. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: like, this. yeah, that Sky Answers with Joe, he, yeah, he wanted to be a comedy writer and then started doing the YouTube. And he, it was easier, I guess, for him to become, you know, have a million plus viewers instead of, like, you know, writing, writing for yeah, writing comedy for television and for other that's people. So, really. Yeah, for yeah, other people, right. that's so interesting. And he yeah. doesn't
2: have to answer to anybody, and he's got—he's probably making more money than he would as a TV writer working for someone else. So, like, that's like—I feel like we're on the verge of a transition where people—and I've heard other people say this—you know—it's not easy to get to get that. But if you had—if you do—if you can work your way up to that, you make more money, have more creative satisfaction, and not have to go through all these hoops you know you creating controlling your own destiny everybody would like to control their own destiny to some extent and i think it's far more possible now than it ever was
1: do you think there'll be like a like a golden age time for that where it will be no not, not to say regulations but like yeah no no notes for some some content person and do you think that, that could actually eventually be perverted in a way down the line like how like television is kind of now where you have so many executives and people to go through. Yeah. But, or is it going to just be unregulated for the end of time? Yeah. I think it it always
2: comes down to, it always comes in the end, everything in entertainment comes down to money. Who's paying for it. You need someone else's money. If you need to get someone else's money to pay for it, then you're at their mercy and you have to take their notes. You have to do it the way you want. But if you don't need anybody else's money to do it, then you can do whatever you want. You know, that's it. And that's what it always comes down to
1: this comes down to what the, the sponsor is like
3: i think it's time i think it's time we talk about the simpsons i'm going to be shameless and i'm going to ask a question i've always wanted to know sideshow bob is my favorite character and i've always wondered with the simpsons did you assign people to write for the characters if they could you know get that character's voice better like I know that you liked writing for Superintendent Chalmers, but did that mean that all those parts went to you? And did you arc sideshow Bob's like storyline? How did that all come into uh, into creation?
2: No, we didn't arc it. We did we, at least for season seven, we just copied season three. I still think season three. By the way, we didn't work on season three, all, uh, so uh, but I think it was the best season of television on any show ever. And mm. so what we did was when we took over. We were like, let's just copy season three. And what did we do? We said, okay, we got season three. Had it? What did it have? It had six Homer episodes, four Bart episodes, one Sideshow Bob episode, one Itchy and Scratchy episode, one Halloween episode, and two Marge episodes, whatever. So that's what we did. And like, even to the extent of putting them kind of in the same order. So that was it. But we never arced out. There was never any arc to these things. They're all individual episodes. Yes. Seven was a copy of three (laughs) although the stories are not the same the content of the season is the same because we thought that was perfect like and that's what everybody wants or at least that's what people we wanted was we wanted a classic a season that was like classic simpsons with that exact mix same exact mix of stuff
0: oh that's great yeah i love the homer
2: episodes yeah they're always fun and there's always a temptation to to overdo it with the homer episodes which is why we made sure we didn't we had a good mix.
3: When you kind of did overdid it like when, when you, Homer is like humongous.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: me too. Like king size Homer.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: That was a good episode.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, get, and he's holding the sign
2: <laughs> give me a ride or everyone will die. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and so no character dividing.
2: Yeah, you never divided it up by character although yeah. some people were more talented at writing for certain characters than others, but you, it was not broken down by character. It was broken down by, generally by spec, like, and not even that it wasn't broken down regularly, but in general, you would not give John Schwartzwalder an emotional episode. He does the crazy episodes. You, you know, and John Vitti would be given the emotional episodes because he is the great he's great at the emotional stuff, the Lisa stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and other writers, sometimes it was a mix and you you didn't really know until you'd worked with them for a couple of years who was better at which type of thing. Um, so but it was never broken down by character because every episode has every character in it. And and sometimes there'd be certain people who would pitch jokes that were slightly better. I always thought that Josh and I were really good at writing for Principal Skinner because all the teachers at our school were just like him. Um and so we had we always liked to write him and we always I felt like we had a knack for his particular brand of somewhat sad <laughs> single man life. <laughs> Sideshow Bob is extremely hard to write. It see it, I guess I would say the show makes it look easy because his lines have to sound like Sideshow Bob and writing crafting those lines is very hard. It, it's only, and equally hard is Groundskeeper Willie. Oh, really? Every time that it would be a line for Sideshow Bob or a line for Groundskeeper Willie, it grinds everything to a halt because it's very hard. Those lines... They, you know, like, Willie just tosses off these things, but they're very hard to come up with. Same with Sideshow Bob. And that's, writing those episodes was always very hard. Like, it wasn't wow. hard. Like, the first drafts were hard, and then The Room was it was almost always a really long slog to rewrite it. Writing those two characters were the hardest.
0: It would be hard to write for someone that is probably smarter than me. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> I, I think that uh, hearing here you describe it, Bill, It it makes me have way more appreciation for everybody involved, not only like the writers, but also the voice actors, too, because I didn't realize that it would be like so many like a different writer for the same character uh, with the different jokes or, you know, like so that it it makes, you know, so the character has to have some kind of continuity, too, which it, it, it amazes me like how well that that goes that gets put on. I'm not, I don't have any questions, but that was just my statement that I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a of appreciation. Sideshow, yeah, and especially when if you're writing, yeah, for such a complex character, I guess like Sideshow Bob, he's not really complex, but yeah, I mean he is. Yeah, so that's so that's so interesting that you'd say that that Sideshow Bob and Willie are, are so like difficult to write for because it, it they their lines like especially Willie's lines are always like you know, short and, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot to, to say in episodes. It's it's very interesting to, to hear you say that.
3: Well,
2: it's like, it's easier to write characters that look like, that talk like you, you know? It's yeah. easier. I could say lines that I kind of talk like somewhere between Homer and Bart. So writing for them, I can just talk the lines out whereas nobody talks anything like Sideshow Bob or Groundskeeper Willie. So the headlines yeah. have to be constructed from, from you know, just from abstraction.
3: Here I was thinking how relatable some of Sideshow Bob's code
2: <laughs> It has, I'm sure.
3: I, I just, I like that he over he overthinks everything and then he clarifies everything that he's doing that's maniacal and sociopathic. Like that makes me giggle. Like he's constantly like, he's yeah constantly um, self-correcting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had written down a couple of, um, funny Simpsons lines that we almost say to each other, kind of a lot, you know, just in our vernacular. But um, one was, this is the one I I think, well, this, uh, the first one, I can't wait to get home and eat that monkey. Oh, son, this monkey's gonna change my life. Mind if I take him for a ride? Sure, I'll just stand here.
2: I can't wait to eat that monkey. <laughs> I know. I don't think I've heard that line. What's, that must it's be the, from uh, later season. It's,
0: it's like Grandpa, and <laughs> they've gotten him a helper monkey, and he's like, oh, thank you. He's really grateful, and then it just... It's you know, uh the voice in his own head. And he's
1: like, I can't wait to get home and eat that monkey. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, son. Thank you. This is good. That monkey's gonna yeah. change my life. He's like, I can't wait yeah. to get home and <laughs> eat that monkey. I, we're, we're getting to, to that point where we're gonna start we to talk about each other. One of my favorites that we say to each other is like, I'm so hungry I can
2: eat at Harvey's. You know, I'm
1: so hungry I can eat at Arby's. I don't
2: know. A- Arby's is good. I don't approve of that line. I don't approve of that line. <laughs> that was that was not okay first of all I was not there when they I would never have allowed that line the the, um although I didn't discover the Arby's was good until after I had left the show but in any case that was not um I was not there for that episode and it wasn't even in the first draft because we've been trying to track down the source of that line because it gets brought up every single time I mention Arby's that was not um (laughs) it was it was in a a rewrite later that and we don't know who who was in the room at that point no I don't take credit no. Uh, yeah. And it's one of those things that has given Arby's an unfairly bad reputation for decades now. <laughs> just like, just like John, John Stewart was always using on The Daily Show when John Stewart was the host of The Daily Show, he was always crapping on Arby's as well. And the reason is that Arby's has a funny sounding name. It, it's like Arb. You know, like, Ar- like Burger yes. King is far more deserving of being crapped upon than Arby's. However, Brilliant. the sound ARB is a comedy sound like pickle, Seattle, those kind of things. So ARB gets the laugh. Whereas if you said Burger King, nobody would laugh, even though it's far more true. Anyway, yeah. that's the source. Of the continuing thing. I, every time I bring up Arby's, which is about once a week online, and so I'm people. I'm so sorry. Line, and I have to say <laughs> yeah, that I don't funny. approve of the line. <laughs> I got it's, it's, their it's,
0: new. Uh, there's never a line at Arby's that's that's gonna be my uh, that's my pitch for their uh, for their next marketing campaign. There's never a line at Arby's.
3: When I was like staying when I was recently in the US and I went to like Disney World, of course in Orlando, my hotel was surrounded by like, an Arby's, a Burger King, an iHoff. And I kept looking at Arby's. I didn't know what it was, so I didn't go in there. And now I kind of wish I had. So I'll have to go back and. I yeah, the eat curly there. fries. I do like a curly fry. And Isn't until-
1: Arby's called Carl's Jr. on the West Coast? Hard-y's.
3: Hard-y's.
2: It's Hardy's. It's Hardee's It's Hardy's. It also Hard-y's is a funny sounding name. name. It is. Yeah. yeah. It is.
1: They yep. could have said that. Yeah. It's got a, got a more juvenile, juvenile tone to it. it.
0: <laughs> Hard. I'm so hungry I could eat at Arby's. I got was the, um, when Mr. Burns has to go shopping for himself, he's like, ketchup, 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 I'm in way over my head.
2: Yes, that's one I think I can take credit for, or some version of credit for. I know we were—that was one of our episodes. That
0: like every time I have to buy ketchup, I say that to myself. I can't look at ketchup and not think that. Yeah, there, there's no difference, right?
2: No, it's just, it's just the translation of a word from 200 years ago that it was <laughs> different. It was a different word.
0: And so just somebody, somebody stuck to their guns. Um, so um, and then the other one was uh, Spring
2: forth, my burly protector. I don't think I know that one either. Is that? Is that Ralph Wiggum you're doing?
0: Uh not Ralph, the other kid. Um, and he's with uh Nelson. And oh, I think Prince? they are oh, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Martin. Martin, yeah, and they're like are, they're on like Team Discovery Channel, they're on some sort of mission against the Shelbyville <laughs> kids, I think. uh, okay. uh so We get the lemon <laughs> no. tree back. Spring forth, Burly Protector, and save
1: me! Bill, so I have a question. Do you have do you have a, a, a favorite line that you are that you came up with that you were just like just was just so tickled about
2: there are a couple but the only thing i can remember that i absolutely that i love that i came up with by myself was uh the troy mcclure movie Mm -hmm. they came to burgo carnegie hall which makes me laugh so much and it's not even that funny to the average viewer but it's such a perfect troy mcclure movie because it's so it sounds like a movie (laughs) from that era from the early 70s a heist movie It's also, it uses the word burgle, which you never would put in a title because people don't know what that is. And the (laughs) concept, when you think about it it, for a second, why would anyone want to burglarize Carnegie Hall? It's a concert venue, nothing there to steal, it's empty. Most of the time, anyway. And so, it just like, it, but if it's so typical of Trey McClure's oeuvre that 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 makes me, it makes me, that's my favorite thing that I ever that in yeah. the Steam Tam segment, obviously, which I wrote too.
3: I was going to ask about Steam Tams now. Look, when I first watched that episode many years ago, and I, it wasn't until I recently watched it, I didn't understand and I didn't know how it had taken off, like on. Or the memes and stuff I don't even know how to say this eloquently but I didn't think it was like wildly hilarious at the time and now I, I get that it's like the 13 consecutive lives and they get more and more and more and more out of control but like do you just like giggle at like how many things get sent your way like how did you react when it was like it must be weird like such a huge don't time think, gap
2: I don't know what happened to love that thing like I wrote that thing because I love Superintendent Chalmers and I love the idea. I love the whole concept, which did, we did not come up with. It had been on the air before we even got there, that Skinner lies and Chalmers calls him on it, but only calls him generally once. He calls him once and then gives up. And I thought that was so funny that I wanted to write a whole, whole segment about that. And basically because Josh and I were running the show, I just insisted that it go on, on this episode. it took take up a lot of real estate, take up a lot of time in the episode. And we didn't accept any rewrites of it. We just said this is going in the way it is. And so then it wasn't even that pop, it wasn't ever that popular until miraculously, like around 2014, it started to take on its life of its own. I never heard anything about it for about 18 straight years until it started <laughs> taking on this crazy life of its own when people yeah. started remixing it on YouTube. Um, and there's all those thousands of things, and it's like, I'm somewhat baffled buy it but I love it <laughs> and I also wish I got some money for it um, yeah. so that's the other thing that is that all that always is like wow this would be great if only I could start and I do I have attempted to capitalize it in certain ways you know because when I do my my fast food awards it's called the steamies based on that <laughs> I'm, I'm also launching a thing called the steamed ham society yeah. In a, in a month or two um so i do you know i try to get i try to take some notoriety from that but i don't know um, what it is yeah, but it, i want in
3: yeah i was like what what okay. will that consist of could you please can you divulge anything like what will that entail
2: uh i can't divulge anything yet but it's basically yeah. going to be kind of a little food club type thing with various levels of participation it'll be kind of like an online club and and but i don't but uh it I'm going to, I'll, anyone listening, just follow my Twitter. You'll see, I will never stop talking about it once it starts because I want people to join it uh, and pay the dues that they, that, that I can receive. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: If it's your first night at steamed ham club, (laughs) (laughs) you have to eat a steamed ham.
3: (laughs) For me, one of the biggest takeouts is the vocabulary. And as someone who loves literature and writing in English, I loved how The Simpsons, and I think if you're a good writer, you're allowed to do that. You can make up words and change it. But I started using them at school in my own way. And I I think it's the word domining that Lisa uses. She says the domining. And And I used it at school and my teacher's like, that's not a word. And I actually remarked, but it's on The Simpsons.
0: Dear Log, can it be true? Do all Simpsons go through a process of domining? Wait,
3: that's not how you spell dumbening.
0: Wait, dumbening isn't even a word.
3: The fact that that show had the power to completely change vocabulary, it's just astounding to me. Like, that's such a testament to the influence that the show had.
2: Both Embiggen and cromulent are in the dictionary now. Both, they're literally actually, I Embiggen mean, and cromulent are actually in legitimate dictionaries. Yes, both from that same episode. And the joke was, At the time, the joke was, these are made-up words. That was the joke. Now, people watching this are like, oh, those are regular... There's no joke in the scene because those are real words that you find in the dictionary. In
0: in? Biggin?
3: Yes. (laughs) There's like a whole website, I love it, that's dedicated to words that were created from The Simpsons. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, I'll send it to you. I'm such an English nerd. I use them quite often. And I guess... What else has The Simpsons imprinted on me? I use Ned Flanderisms all the time. Like I add. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, and in Australia, we go, alrighty righty, Roo. So I say that. <laughs> and then, oh, and then like, you know, in the Australia episode that you guys wrote, like Bart versus Australia, when you say dollary do's, people say that oh, you know, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah, that's the real thing. And that flag, that yeah. flag, if people
2: sell that flag with the butt on it. And yeah. <laughs> somebody just sent me on Twitter, like like last week, there
3: was some interview with
2: the old former prime minister in front of that flag. Yeah. You, I'm sure you must have seen that.
3: Yeah, that's pretty funny.
0: So they're selling this flag that y'all put in the huh. thing, and you're still yeah, not getting it. Yeah.
2: Cut. I'm, glad, Please, that you're I'm not- glad that they've embraced that. I mean, I'm glad that Australia has now has a good sense of humor about it. I think yeah. at the time, a lot of people didn't like it very much. But now <laughs>
3: oh, people come around. But had anyone been to Australia when they'd written that episode? No, or... that's a
2: joke. <laughs> Nothing about that. That is so funny. The whole so point funny. of that thing was when we were writing it, we were like, well, Josh and I bought one guidebook to Australia <laughs> so that we wow. had a little bit of a, an idea of like the, you know, some of the geography and stuff of it. But the whole point was it was assembled all from just stereotype jokes <laughs> Because there was a lot That's of Australian right. stuff in like the late 80s with Crocodile Dundee <laughs> and Jocko and things like that, that. And so the whole point of the episode was we don't want this to be like real Australia. It is a cartoon pastiche of stereotypes, of Australian, <laughs> corny Australian stereotypes that we've all come to know. Um, and that was really the joke for a lot of it. And I understand in Australia when people saw it, they didn't. many people didn't get that or didn't like it. Um, and, and I can understand why, because you're like, that's not what we're really like, we're, and, and we don't all talk we like... We We don't yeah, drink Fosters.
3: It's so funny, because you, you can't really even buy Fosters, but then you go to the States, and it's literally, like, everywhere, and it makes me giggle that that's, like, a... It's the Australian thing. There's a whole restaurant chain called the oh, Outback yes.
0: House. <laughs> Nothing Australian yeah. about
2: it. No, <laughs> and they sell Fosters, and they got posters of Ayers Rock and all that stuff in there, and every menu item is... The whole menu is filled with this corny, corny oh Australianisms, heart. and they're all named after so things, yes, know. everything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's but fun, yeah. When, but when in we Australia, went to
0: Australia, there's no blooming onions.
2: Australia, I think, in general, has a good sense of humor, and that was the whole reason good. one of those reasons we did it. If we'd done that, other com- other countries that The Simpsons has subsequently lampooned, like Brazil, <laughs> they, had, they didn't like it at all, they didn't like it at all, and they still didn't they had, you know press conferences to denounce the Simpsons and crap like that. We were pretty certain that Australians having a good sense of humor would embrace it, although ultimately it took about 20 years for them to embrace it. Yeah. That's funny.
3: The other embarrassing thing I could admit to you is that we did a performance with Bartman, like the chore like when that song came out, we did a choreographed performance at my <laughs> primary school. Ooh.
2: That was really popular back I know, It was amazing to think
3: it was in the charts. <laughs>
2: recall a day when people like that uh, unironically, that, that people the Bartman was a top 10 hit and that people didn't have it, it was liked unironically by millions of people.
3: that's what started my dancing. And I also got the word dream boat from Homer in the Dud episode. I, I use the word dream boat all the time. Oh God, yeah you didn't it? have
2: that that's not well, that's a real common or at least you'd be very common in the in the US, at least in
3: not, you know no. the 20th century. Not, and when I say it here people look at me like a little bit strange. I'm like he's a dream boat. they're like what am like, yeah like
2: a dreamboat I is... what is a dream boat.
3: No no
0: but people call me that all the time and I just
1: <laughs> it's a dream boat. he's dreaming you know, i mean Trick i know yeah if you hear it you're like oh yeah well
0: yeah obviously what's the origin a compliment. of that phrase well, i like to know boat. the origins of phrases
3: we'll get to the yeah. etymology of i it. forget all
0: of them but
1: maybe you're around somebody <laughs> that good looking and you feel like you're floating on water Isn't what's that the like,
3: inverse
2: what's the that inverse means a handsome guy. guy i mean that's yes. like what it, Handsome guy. I, I think it probably faded out of popularity by the 80s, but <laughs> no, I still yeah. use
3: it every day. I'm like, "He's a dreamboat."
1: Yeah, it came back in that movie where uh the guy goes back in time, and the mom calls his her son a dreamboat.
2: Right. Yeah, Back to the, the future. future. I think it was in there. <laughs> yeah, I think Back to the Future. This is one of the things that people like when we were writing Homer, we were writing Homer like our parents and our parents like people, everyone on the show their parents had grown up in the thir- 1930s and 40s, you know? So like Homer, at least in the early seasons of the show, had kind of a taste, like, you know, remember that he's sitting in the car listening to Little Spanish Flea. He had the kind of tastes that our parents had, you know, and from the 50s and, and, and early 60s and used words like dreamboat and yeah. things like that. Now, obviously now that it's 30 years later, you know, Homer, this was, what is born, Homer was born in 1992 or whatever now. Like, like it's all like, everything has to move along because it wasn't intended to show it was not supposed to last yeah. that long. Homer was supposed to be a guy, you know, he, he was basically based on our dad's, as I said, who, from who grew up in the thirties and forties, as opposed to now when you'd have to have grown up in the, in the nineties.
0: Because how old is Homer
2: in perpetuity? I think 39, he's 38, right? I think. Oh, we aged wow. him up. Yeah. Like he was 36 in the first couple of seasons. And then when Josh and I took over, we're like, he's way too young to be thirty six. Like he's way too he seems much older than 36, so we said he'd be 38. We aged him up to 38, <sighs> which now still seems very young yeah. for Homer. Um, but like I think he still remains 38. He might have they might have aged him up another couple of years. Well,
1: it makes me feel good about myself I when don't, looking at it. and you're like, okay, well, I'm 41, and you know, at least I don't yeah. look like Homer. Yeah.
2: If you look like at Homer. people like who are 60. In the 80s, mm-hmm. they looked like they were 90, especially, yeah, yeah. and they had people who grew up and they had a harder lives and much worse nutrition and world wars and crap. So, like, you know, you saw guys who were bald, guys in the 50s and stuff. who were 36 did look like Homer, <laughs> you know, who, yeah, but, yeah. But it, and and today we have better nutrition and, and health care and things like that, so people don't look as old as, as old. And you could, this was still... I heard that Spielberg said this actually when he was making um, whatever that movie was or Band of Brothers or whatever, that like soldiers who were in World War II who were 18 look a lot older than today's 18-year-olds, you know? So it, it affected the casting. Oh, wow.
3: Did your drunk food love start from the writer's room in the Simpson or had you always been like a little bit of a fast foodie? Cause where did it, when did it start Bill?
2: This is interesting. To, I could go on for an hour about this. So I don't want to, you uh, I've always been interested in this type of thing because I didn't have it growing up because yeah. I lived in the country and the nearest fast food place was an hour away. So uh-huh. um, I, I was deprived of McDonald's and things like that as a kid. So I've always been excessively interested in it, but I've also always been like, I always wanted to try the first new thing which is a new flavor potato chips. There's a new type of Oreo. I wanted to be the first one to try it. So I've always been interested in that. At The Simpsons, the, I'm actually writing a book proposal. And a lot of, there's a big chapter about what, what the eating culture was like at The Simpsons, <laughs> which was very bad. Um, there was like a, the writers, it was really boring. Writing on The Simpsons is very boring most of the time. I'm talking about in the early 90s, because imagine a time when you did not have a cell phone and there was no such thing as a cell phone. You're in a room all day long, 10 to 12 hours a day with the same guys every day. And there's nothing to do except work. And so you'd smoke for the first couple years. Swartz smoked all the time. And I smoked a little bit, but then that became legal to smoke in an office in 1993. Um, so there's nothing to distract yourself except eating. So people ate so much. They ate so much food and everybody gained a lot of weight. I lost 65 pounds when I left the show. Um, and many other people did too, because you're just sitting there eating, or there's a snack room right next door. So you'd be eating Oreos, M&Ms, whatever. They just stock it up all the time and people would just eat it. And and then you'd also make a big deal out of ordering lunch because that's your only delight the whole day. I think working, I know that everybody thinks it's not, it seems like it would have been a wild circus working at the Simpsons, but it's like, it was a circus uh, maybe 10% of the time. Uh, primarily when someone like Conan was there. The rest of the time it was just like, okay, we need a new name for this itchy and scratchy episode. And everybody sits there <laughs> for an hour saying like Tapping uh, their pencil uh, against their notebook right right <laughs> and that's not it's not fun um and so uh that's like the, anyway so you distract yourself with food um i ate a lot of food during that time i ordered a lot of food and i would say it did not increase my interest in food the simpsons actually probably decreased my interest i it's i didn't Enjoy it. I ate for distraction, <laughs> so now I'm able to enjoy it more.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and have you? I mean, you might cringe at this question, but have you been to the Universal Simpsons lands and eaten the food there, like the crusty burger?
2: I have been there, and I did have the Cletus's um, honey hot honey uh, chicken sandwich, which was very good. Um, and I really like that. I really like that. When I went to the she one in Hollywood, and I thought it was hot. really cool. Um, huh. They got like Cletus's hot chicken shack or whatever, which and that was good. I didn't have the crusty burger, unfortunately.
3: I had the sideshow Bob Footlong when I was recently in Florida, because obviously I'm sideshow Bob, and it was okay. I did have tummy cramps in the afternoon, but I enjoyed it at the time, <laughs> so so it was good.
0: It's funny uh, growing up in Florida after like elementary school. I, I don't think I ever went to Disney or any of that stuff again. Like <laughs> just as, like, oh remember. wow. I mean, I think maybe one time I went to Halloween horror nights, just once. But it. It, it, were were you scared? I hate waiting. In, I hate waiting in line for anything.
3: You don't have to. Yeah, that's right. why you get the pass. You got to get the pass. Balls. Yeah, you get the pass.
1: But then everybody—that's how they get the you. <laughs>
0: that's
1: how and they Everybody get you. knew about the
0: pass <laughs> pass. I don't really want to go on the. I don't care about going on the rides and stuff. Anyway, I don't think. I don't have children. I think if but they made I me go, go, on the go there, rides? I'd just be like.
3: I worked at Disney for a while. So when I was in Snow White, I was working on like um, a food cart and they had this thing called a potato volcano. And I think you would have really enjoyed it, Bill. It was like, we used to get like these big sacks of like just mushy, I don't even know what it was, just potato, big bag of cheese. And you just like pile them on top of it. I I love anything potato, but that was stretching my limits of like. That
2: pot- sounds pretty good. I think I've heard <laughs> oh, of it that was. actually.
3: Yeah, the potato volcano. It was a big hit. But you also told me that you knew about chicken salt. and What do you put I, it on? Yes,
2: I mean, um, I have put it on popcorn which i think mm-hmm. I heard was really good and french fries yeah and I don't know there's a couple other things I have two I have two different chicken salts here now actually um but yeah I really like it and also the chicken there's chicken salt flavored stuff as well like the um, twisties and things yeah so twisties. Yeah. what, is, is an interesting what is,
3: thing? is
1: what is chicken salt
0: it's like seasoned salt but yeah Yeah. with different seasoning
3: uh so when i gave it to jason he put his on vegetables (laughs) because he's so healthy i didn't know what the hell to do with
0: it yeah it is vegetarian
1: actually sorry i gotta let my cat and get a bunch of things
0: again it's another thing from australia that sort of tastes like just a ramen noodle packet Yeah, like just like you know the chicken, the chicken flavored ramen noodle packet. If you filled a whole container with that and added a little bit of like sugar to, to make, to like that's true. It, that's
2: uh, true. It.
0: that's it's, basically it's what it tastes like. <laughs> I came to that conclusion while drunkenly dipping my finger into it. <laughs> just like, <laughs> what is this?
3: yeah <laughs> it's like very divisive here about like but like, like like burger shop whether you have chicken salt whether you're a chicken salt eater or just a plain salt and i'm a purist i like the plain salt so it does divide uh, our nation uh, <laughs> why wouldn't it
1: call why wouldn't some things call for chicken salt and some things call for regular salt.
3: Well, Andrew, yeah. if you tried you can't, it,
1: you can't just get along. Like mm-hmm. you know, divided it, it, country and here.
3: It, yeah, it makes everything yellowy. I don't know. I'm I'm really weird. My, I'm really funny about my potatoes. Like
1: jaundice.
3: Kinda. It's like if you leave it on potatoes, like <laughs> it- Chicken salt.
1: It's fun to say chicken salt.
0: I got it over here, Andrew. We'll, we'll try. We'll try my.
3: Do it. We'll try try it. My chicken salt. Put it on something. Hey, try
0: my chicken salt. If.
3: Any of the Simpsons characters were to listen to Evergreen Terrace and their heavy metal. Which which characters do you think would listen to it?
2: Oh, those bully kids. Otto. We don't have <laughs> any characters like that. Otto, probably, yes. Yeah, that's obviously. what I said. <laughs> I mean, there's not... There aren't, the, the Simpsons does not have a, um, well, a huge sh- assortment of people in that demographic, which is one of the reasons that Josh and I created that show, Mission Hill, because, like, The Simpsons has two characters... Like, the Simpsons has one character between the ages of 12... And thirty, and it's Otto. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. And so that's where we created Mission Hill, which is all mostly characters between those ages. Um, hmm. So there's not like so. Yes, probably Jimbo, Dolph, and Kearney, one of them at least, and Otto. But honestly, the demographic is not really present in the Simpsons universe. But, but
1: Bill, so um, Jin Jin told me that you were um, going. You both were going over the our Furnace Fest video. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: I, yeah, it, yeah. I
1: at it. yeah. How did how did you like that? Are, are you from Are you from familiar with that that world? Are you into not heavier, really. like <laughs> into any like underground what music and what What was your thoughts of this, like seeing that and then like all the moshing and dancing and whatnot?
2: <laughs> well, it's rather scary. <laughs> <laughs> what What music do you like, Bill? I just listen to random crap. Like, normally, I, I listen to 90s. I listen to R&B from, the, like, the 80s and 90s. Oh, and and nice. I listen to radio stations. I listen Dude. to these radio stations from, like, Chicago that just play that stuff all day. Um, and then I also listen to classic country. And that's, like, oh. pretty much it. <laughs> it's a weird thing. I don't, like, have – I mainly just listen to radio stations from other parts of the country um, that play stuff. I don't, like, curate a lot of my own music.
0: I, I, I've been listening – To like this one Motown mix that I've been working on. It's probably like five days long now, but (laughs) it's like that's the only thing I listen to lately. (laughs) I just put that on shuffle while I'm driving.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much the same with me. I have a couple of playlists and I find something on Spotify that I like and then I make it make its own radio station based on that thing Mm -hmm. and I listen to it until I get sick of it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so when, when you when you say like old country, what 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 kind of old country are you talking? Classic, like are you talking about like Merle Haggard, or are you talking like Garth Brooks?
2: I'm talking like older than that. Like I'm talking like stuff from like oh like like Ray Williams,
1: Aco, the, oh. Webb
2: Pierce, stuff from the 40s oh, okay. and 50s and 60s. I used oh, to do a nice. radio show in college that was all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, that's I love awesome. that stuff. You know, that uh, also bluegrass stuff from that Bill Monroe, Western swing. Um, that kind of stuff. So like all the way up till about 1975. And then I consider it, I don't consider anything after that to be classic country, even though that's what people now consider. people consider Garth Brooks classic country. I'm like, if it's not Ray Acuff or Ernest Tubb, it's yeah, not classic yeah. country.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. If you could buy it on CD. Exactly. Red, red. <laughs> when it came out, it was it on CD. <laughs> it's not classic.
3: <laughs> what are you watching comedy wise, Bill? Like I have a TV spreadsheet because I watch like nearly everything. But what are you watching that's making you laugh? Yeah, I work. A, and I categorize it whether it's an A show, a B show, an F huh. show. <laughs> oh,
0: Does that take the show that I most
2: love right now is Stafflet's Flats? Have you seen that? Does anyone know what that is? Stars Jamie dimitriou Um, it's hilarious. And it's so, I I think it's it's apparently quite popular because that guy has become famous and is now getting cast on American shows. Um, It's called Staff. His name is Staff. Staff lets flats and he works at a real estate agency that rents, that has rentals. And um, it's really, I would say it reminds me of the off the classic office, except that it's like, you know, 20 years later, new generation, new types of people in it um and it's a lot of it really deals with the uh, with uncomfortable like a lot of british comedy does the uncomfortable uh, conflict uh and it, it's it's really it makes me laugh more than any other show has in years
0: bill what what got you interested in in doing comedy what, what were you or were you um i'm sure there were a variety of things but um like for me I, I i realized i was a big fan of it when i was a kid and i got into like kids in the hall
2: for me it was cool. mad, mad Magazine like i grew up no, mad, neat. mad magazine was you know everybody who grew up between 1950 and 1980 that was their one that was the only funny thing that kids really other than saturday morning cartoons which are kind of infantile like yeah. mad was the only thing that that kind of shaped your sense of humor and and then it became national lampoon <laughs> as you got a little bit older um and so like it was mad and i wanted to be a cartoonist you know, I wanted to be the kind of person who would draw for MAD or draw comic strips. You know, in the newspaper when that was a big mm-hmm. thing, and then I gradually transitioned to just doing the writing part of it. But it's—I always wanted to do something like that.
0: I'm sure telling your mom, like, "Mom, I'm going to be a comedy writer." That's about—it's probably just slightly <laughs> better. It's slightly better than telling her you're going to be in a punk rock band. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "Oh, are you really? Uh, are you going to go to college though?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's kind but- of a. It's not the it's not the first thing that's going to pop into most people's heads when they think about a career to, to jump into.
2: I think they wanted me to be an because they knew that I like to draw and do stuff like that. So I, th- I believe they were trying to push me towards being an architect because um, oh, okay. you get to do that kind of stuff and design. But that did not work out. Um, so I like, you know, I the TV thing kind of took off fortunately before I had to go back to architecture school.
0: And I get a job at, at Vandalay Industries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always wanted to pretend to be an architect.
3: <laughs> what are you working on now? Is, is there anything in the pipeline? Like I know a lot of writers have multiple projects and we're always told to have multiple projects on the go. So
2: yes, I have tons of stuff that I'm working on. I just finished, uh, uh, for the past year, I've been the head writer and executive producer of Close Enough on HBO max close enough is a show like this is, the, this is the problem with today's TV environment. Is like in the old days, people would have heard of your show. They would have at least heard the name of your show because there are only 80 shows on the air. It's now with like. 592 shows, have many, you're, if people even heard of your show, it's amazing. Anyway, close enough is a show A very funny show animated program from the guy who did regular show. Have you ever seen that? Um, I worked with him on a number of things, JG quintel. Uh, this this is his same sensibility, his same style of art but it's taken, it's the surrealness of regular show in a more domestic setting. Um, and so that show had already been for two years and then they hired me to come in and be the head writer for season three and season three should be out next month um, on HBO Max. So I just finished that. Um, I also am, Josh and I are still working on this uh, sort of a continuation of Mission Hill that we're trying to find a place for, um, as well as, um, yeah, I'm always, I actually have like, I have several different projects I'm working on. All of which are in various stages of being developed or whatever. But like, again, as you said, they got to go through this process, and the process is a lengthy one where we have to keep convincing people to get on board. Um, in the meantime, I'm also developing. I'm more interested in developing myself into a food celebrity, which I work <laughs> on on a regular basis. I'm appearing on these various teams. TV- I'm still on. I'm a regular now on the Food That Built America, which is one of my favorite shows on the History Channel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be on Somebody Feed Phil this year. Um, can be just, I'm doing a lot more food related things, including writing this book, hopefully, um, about American snack food. So like um, mm-hmm. I would prefer to do that. And as we discussed earlier, as I discussed earlier in this very broadcast, I like doing that stuff because I don't have to convince a whole bunch of executives at a TV company that it's funny, that it's good. I can just deliver it directly to the audience without going through this, jumping through all these hoops.
3: Yeah, and it's frustrating too. Some things get greenlit and then they they get cancelled anyway. It's incredibly frustrating that process.
2: Well, so. even the even more common these days is your show just goes right into oblivion. Like yes. net, this is the problem that that for instance, Netflix. Netflix has like four, how many shows does Netflix have? Thirty or forty new shows per week, and so like your show gets your show gets like literally six hours of attention on the Netflix Twitter account. And it's dumped out of the thing, and then people have a weekend to watch it, and then it's they've already the next thing, it's already the p- promotional mechanism has moved on to the next thing. So, like mm-hmm. your show has about maybe 70 hours during which you it's catching the and then it's gone. Yes, and then it's gone for another year or two. And like that's like that's a depressing outcome for having worked on the show for two years, you know, and and spent all this time and money on it for it to just go right into oblivion. Um, yeah. so oh, that's man. like, so not, it's not only getting canceled that happens to you, but yeah. even if you're not canceled, nobody sees it. Nobody ever hears about it. Is that, that's not so much better. You at? Have,
3: do you have a strategy for your food? Like, how do you know, and how do you keep track of like, what's coming out? Like, do you have a spreadsheet? Do you have a food spreadsheet? How do you, or is it just you're driving past it? You see the new menu. I don't know over there, if they change them seasonally, but I, I feel like you just, <laughs> because you're all over it. You're in the drive-through. Curly
0: fries are out of season,
3: right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's totally true. And there's, it's not hard, honestly, not to give away this. There's about six websites that cover food industry news. And you look and it says you know, Arby's is going to bring out their new, whatever, their new fish sandwich on December (laughs) 16th. Like. And then I show up on December 16th. It's not, it's honestly very easy (laughs) to keep track of that stuff because it's all, you know, there's, I I read the food industry publications and there, there's only like five different ones.
1: Do you eventually hope to like, so you're talking about American snacks. Do you eventually hope to just maybe travel the world in, in, in snack, snack around the world? That would be great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do, a, a, like, uh, like, a
1: German
2: Yeah, a German, paprika, episode.
1: German uh, Pringles, you know. They have those Kinder eggs. A of, yeah. Yes, I
2: love those paprika <laughs> Pringles. They're the best ones in yeah. my opinion. The they best are best really the good.
1: Yeah, it's literally the best snack that uh, you can find in a gas station in Germany. I'm so glad we agree on, on this. Or, or, or besides, uh, yeah, uh, Jägermeister.
0: We have... Um, um, a good deal of experience with eating just fast food snacks. And because just all the years on the road, you've just...
1: I believe it. You got to get fast food. I've had a
0: lot of cup of noodles. My trick was I would take, you'd buy a cup of noodles and then you go, you know, there's the coffee thing, but you can get the hot water out of it. So if you're on the road, you go fill the hot water up in your cup of noodles. You're on the go. You you don't don't need
1: (laughs) You put your chicken salt veggie might flavor into it and uh, <laughs> you're good to go. Yeah. You should
3: come to Australia and snack around here. I feel like maybe you'd be disappointed though. I feel like America really is the Mecca of like. No.
1: Okay. So from, from Europe to um, Australia, I believe that Australia had like in, in the gas stations had a better variety oh. of, of snacks. I'm not saying talking bad about Europeans and their gas station snacks
0: snack games a little
1: weak yeah snack games a little weak
3: we have yeah, good ice cream creams. you do have, yeah yeah because yeah, you know you're
1: yeah it's you know it's hot all the time so yeah so yeah, we always I mean, eat ice yeah. creams yeah you got to have ice cream
3: like yeah. all the
1: time yeah
3: I can't send you yeah. that bill, but unfortunately, but we do have good. Oh, ice too cream.
1: bad. Yeah. You, could, you, could, you, you could get some space ice cream. Do you guys have space ice cream there? Space
3: ice cream. cream. Yeah, yeah. The NASA, Yeah, like, yeah
2: freeze dry ice cream.
3: That's it, freeze dry. That's, that's the word. Well, I'm just a big potato fan.
2: Oh, fantastic.
3: Don't eat that much junk food, but I'm a massive potato fan. So, any of uh, got, yeah. and my favorite chip is only available in America and it's the Ruffles Cheddar and Sour Cream and that's my guilty pleasure. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, that! Oh that, that is a good chip though.
3: The
0: best chip I had, it was maybe like a year or so ago and I cannot find it anymore. And it was Doritos made uh, like a salsa verde flavor. Yes, that was very good. It was, it was good. in a green bag. Oh man, I can't find them anymore anywhere. Oh, must've been a
2: limited edition. Just, just last month they introduced this uh flame and hot variety of those cheddar and sour cream oh, ones and it's they're very good. <laughs> I
3: definitely eat too many of them in America. But Bill, you are like the snack food expert and I can see plenty of them in the background. And for those people who are listening, I'll get Bill to describe what we're looking at. This
2: whole room is filled with snacks. Most of them are off to the side, but that right there is all the most recent stuff.
0: That's right. not there. That's not the bed you <laughs> sleep in, is it?
2: <laughs> no, and no, it is not. I try to pass it off as of a couch type thing. It's not really a bed. Uh, you know, a day cats, bed. That's right. A day bed. That's right. It's a day bed. And it has a, um, uh, that's where I keep some of the, the more presentable snacks. But there's other ones here <laughs> and there's other ones there. And there's other ones off in the kitchen. What would you yeah. consider
0: well, a snack that is not presentable?
3: Hmm, good question, Jason. Gosh.
2: Well, anything that needs to be refrigerated for one. Okay. Um, okay great. Anything, any, any liquid thing i don't keep bottles of stuff there like uh, i got a lot of hot sauces this tends to be more like chips and cookies type stuff
0: mm,
1: okay
3: are they shapes i can say in the background bill
2: but here are the vegemite ones yeah. that are shaped like australia
3: they are <laughs>
0: <laughs> love it
3: yeah actually i liked
0: uh, vegemite when when we went there i thought it was good it's sort of like um it, it tastes this Is not gonna sound as appealing as I mean it to, but um (laughs) like if you took the ramen noodle flavoring and just like sprinkled it over toast with butter, like that's that's kind of what exactly that's the vibe I get from it. Yeah, just like if you took the chicken mix
1: (laughs) Bill, do you like beef jerky or any kind of jerky? Yeah.
2: I do, I like all that kind of stuff, yes, very much.
1: Oh, cool. I don't I don't eat I don't eat uh, beef. But I do like salmon jerky a lot.
2: Mm. Yes. Yeah, I've had that and it is pretty good. I do it's like that. Good, oh, yeah. turkey. You know, turkey stuff is not bad either. Um, yeah. I've had a lot of, and I've also had vegan jerky uh vegan? Some vegan good vegan jerky. Too. They got some yeah. great stuff. That Carolina barbecue flavor is one of my favorite things.
1: Ooh. Oh, oh yeah. That I okay. So I like to make a little uh, like a vegan, like a pulled pork or whatever jerky sandwich. So I put it and I heat it up. With some uh, with some barbecue sauce, and then I put it on a sandwich. And I'm and that's, it's that's it's a good delicious. idea. It's it's so delicious. It's like oh man, I'm eating vegan. This
0: is great. What do you what do you use as the the like? So uh, there's like uh, this the pulled um, the pulled whatever the pulled meat. Yeah, like it's uh, not meat. It's dried tofu, like oh okay, hydra-
1: you know dehydrated oh, okay. tofu that's been like- flavored. Different styles of barbecue, and so it's very barbecue like. And then, you know, just cook it with... I'm
0: curious about the jackfruit taco yeah. filling. I've seen.
1: Yeah. That looks yeah. like
0: it would be. Me too. I could be convinced. Um, have you had the um, KFC vegan chicken?
2: Yes. like Yes. They're very... Have you?
0: I did. I didn't like it, man. I wanted to like it and I didn't. They're just... They aren't even like in the... They're just squares. They aren't even in the shape of a chicken. They're
2: so... That's what's so <laughs> weird about it. That they don't... Like, we're so used to the, the shapes of McDonald's McNuggets where they concocted yeah. these shapes that look like they could be pieces of chicken a little bit. They look like they're yeah. from some sort of sporting good, like uh, like they're from some sort of golf <laughs> practice or something. And they, they're they also rubber. Like, I thought they were okay, honestly. The taste you can get past the weirdness of them. The taste was pretty close to the KFC chicken, which is not really that good. Pretty, yeah. It was decent. It was definitely decent, but it was uncanny. In, in a number <laughs> of different ways.
3: Don't judge me for having Coke for breakfast. It's very early here, but it'll keep me so, keep me well, energized. I the same
2: thing. In fact, I just had one for breakfast.
3: Did you? What about that Starlight Coke? See, we don't get anything like that in Australia. And I saw you and I, I was like... I didn't try that. We don't, I just like the, the can, the label, and I got it, excited. It's very
2: pretty. I like that they're trying new things. Like Oreo is the only other American brand that's trying new weird things. And like, so this Starlight Coke is like supposed to taste... I, I think we sort of figured it out it's supposed to taste like s'mores. So some people taste, you know what s'mores are?
3: Yeah, in Australia? yeah. toasted marshmallow. Oh, I think. Yeah.
2: People, people's palates are very different because some people, like myself, are tasting graham cracker. tasting very heavy graham cracker flavor. Other people mm. are tasting what they describe as a marshmallow or a cotton candy flavor, which is the other part of the s'more. Um, and so that's and it's actually light on the chocolate. So um, it's not really that good, but it's it's interesting. And if you add chocolate syrup to it. Uh, which I did then you get a little bit more of a full full flavored smore. I mean nobody really asked for liquid smores anyway but it, you know it was worth a shot.
0: The people demand liquid smores <laughs> right. yeah it almost makes me think of when I would have like wine classes at work or whatever where we talk about the we, we should have all had a tasting
1: <laughs>
2: it's, hard oh, yeah. to, it's hard to get flavors mm. it's hard to do that like taste like space. <laughs> inspired yep
1: space inspired oh so worked on futurama what what are one of the episodes where the, i can't remember the guy i'm drawing the blank but he invents the uh, the telescope where you can smell out in space yeah
2: <laughs> right right yeah you, you, <laughs> you can, can
0: what about it i don't know that I would you just, that, came that's, that's,
1: <laughs> yeah, just
2: came
3: in to get yeah i just came in i think that could about, really come in space. handy
0: if anyone out
1: there yeah. could make one of those someone made that <laughs> and then they're like oh space smells like s'mores
2: let's just do let's make the coke now yeah, it tastes like they, it.
3: Well, I, I want to try it.
2: I think their thinking is that because when you read the text, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this topic, but all day when you all read day. their press release, it says it's inspired by looking up at the stars. So what happened was obviously they were thinking of people at like a campfire, you know, making s'mores, looking up at the stars. But what I think is funny is that in America, it says space flavored which causes people to wonder what the flavor of space is. In Canada, where they have much stricter labeling laws, it has to say space-inspired, and I find mm. that amusing because Canada is mm. really strict about their labeling laws, so no space flavor. Mm. Not, it's not space oh, that's flavor, funny. So we're not going to label wow. I like
0: that. In Canada, anyway, you can't I've, say it tastes like something
2: arbitrary if it doesn't. Yeah, they're real strict, their labeling laws um in canada but anyway
3: bill thank you so so much this was an absolute blast and something really special i'm sure for all of us we look forward to the steamed ham societies and all your other projects and works and if you want to check out bill he is that bill oakley on instagram and twitter
2: guys it was great to meet you uh, it was great to meet you and, and talk to you yeah thank you, bill. Pleasure to meet jen, you thank you for having us too yes thanks jen all right jen thanks for having me guys bye bye everybody